Doctor, you're not still thinking of making a run with the TARDIS console, are you? Indeed I am. That's why we came here. Now, be sensible. It's too dangerous. Look, Liz. Look, without the TARDIS, I feel rather lost. Stranger in a foreign land. Shipwrecked mariner. And thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Caleb. And I'm Mac. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. And today, we're talking about Inferno. Yes, and Inferno was written by Don Houghton, was directed by Douglas Camfield, was produced by Barry Letts, and aired May 9th, 1970 to June 20th. Happy birthday, Caleb, 1970. So this one is kind of noteworthy for a couple of different things. One, this is another one of the very few episodes that doesn't have the word the anywhere in the title. And two, this is our last seven-parter. <laughs> Yay! It's all fours and sixes or lower from here on out. Remember when Max said like eight episodes ago that it's fours and sixes from here? Fours and sixes. I so fucking two. didn't. I always <laughs> specified right after the couple of sevens, it's fours and sixes from there on out. I <laughs> let the record fucking show. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's fours and sixes after about five sevens in a row. Okay, first of all, it was three sevens. You can handle three sevens, Caleb. And, and a tenor. And an audio one. All of which I warned you ahead of time, I swear to God. (laughs) I swear to God. I actually, I looked it up earlier today because I was curious when the last six-parter is. What's the last six-parter? And it happens two-thirds-ish through the fourth Doctor. That's, That's where the last sixer happens. And then after that, it's all fours. But that's... Not going to be for a hot fucking minute. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, boy. If it's the fourth Doctor, I don't know who all the Doctors are, but is the fourth Doctor the one that's around forever? Yes. Like, it's two-thirds of the, the Doctor, like, eight seasons? He's the one that I really hope you fucking like, because if you don't, you're going to have a miserable time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's he's there for a while. He's the one with the scarf. Oh, yeah, he's the, he's the long scarf guy? Yeah. Well, Caleb, I know we can probably vamp a little bit more, and uh, I'm sorry that I can't uh, stall for time even more, but uh, given everything you know about Doctor Who, and uh, given the title of this episode, Inferno, what do you think this episode's going to be about? Oh, gosh. I want to say something crazy. Like, he goes back in time and meets Dante Alighieri, and he's like, hey, you should write something about hell or something. (laughs) Is that your official prediction? No. Okay. Well, maybe, because I can't think of anything else. Keeping in mind that he literally cannot go back in time right now. <laughs> well, he has established that he can gobbledygook the TARDIS thing, so my prediction is he's going to be beat bopping around on the TARDIS console, and instead of going somewhere in time, the TARDIS console randomly pulls someone from time, and oh my god, it's the Dante Alighieri guy, and he's like... <laughs> speaking latin saying where the fuck am i and the doctor's like yeah let's go tag along let's see what he does and then they get into some crazy conspiracy and there's like nuclear fusion and fission and stuff and the dante alligari guy's like this is crazy i'm gonna write about this two things one i love that you keep referring to him as the dante alligari guy when that it it's just Dante Alighieri. That's just his name. <laughs> Dante Alighieri, the guy. I don't know. If, I know if I'm saying his name right. So he's Dante uh, and, Alighieri guy. And two, I love how you didn't even remotely attempt to incorporate my uh, teaser at the end of the last episode that talked about parallel worlds. Oh yeah, <laughs> the parallel world where Dante Alighieri is alive in 20th century London. <laughs> sure, I remember not liking it very much 
but I do know that it's a very popular one. So we shall see. Max just a hipster. I, I mean, they just they just don't want to like what everyone else likes. It's exhausting, Caleb. Constantly having an opinion about a media thing and then being like, I'm going to go online to find like-minded individuals and not fucking finding any. It's fucking (laughs) exhausting after a while. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't want to be like this. I just am. (laughs) I'm not being contrarian because I heard people's opinions first and then was like, I'm going to believe the opposite. No, I'm like, I have this opinion. Oh, I'm in the 0.1% of this fandom that agrees with that. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I think the first Kingdom Hearts is the best one in the series. Come at me. Matt, you're wrong. His (laughs) shoes are too big and too yellow. That's the point. Okay, anyway. This is a Kingdom Hearts podcast now. My favorite podcast is a Kingdom Hearts podcast. I could do a Kingdom Hearts podcast. I'm just throwing that out there. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose on that note... We will see you all in the future. Let's get going. And we're back. May have just been a couple seconds for you, but it was almost two weeks for us. Thirteen days. And what a two weeks it was. I think you say that every time. <laughs> yeah, I think I do. I think I do. <laughs> so, Caleb, I'm sure you loved this episode considering it's Fury of the Deep, but twice at the same time. What'd you think of Inferno? <laughs> I actually did not really like it all that much. It's Fury of the Deep, but bad, and twice. <laughs> it's the Deadpool 2 of Fury from the Deep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If we just do more, it should be better, right? That's how that works? I think, okay, so it, it's funny because it does have a lot of like similar things to Fury of the Deep. I even thought that while watching it, mm-hmm. which I think is the first time I've ever thought back to like, hey, this is kind of like that one episode. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think I've pinpointed why I don't like this episode but do like Fury of the Deep. Okay. Fury of the Deep doesn't really pretend to be anything more than what it is, which is stupid horror. <laughs> Yeah. Whereas I felt like this one at least could have or wanted to have like thoughtful things to say about energy or like bureaucracy or the morality of pursuing science. And it was also a B-rate horror movie. It feels like this episode has a an environmentalist message. I just don't think it knows what that environmentalist <laughs> message is. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that sums up pretty well. Uh, So yeah, Fury of the Deep, great, because it has no point other than, hey, this is just really dumb and really cool at the same time. (laughs) Whereas this one's about something. What that is, is debatable. Hey, this one's plenty cool. Like, the air quote, Brigadier wears an eye patch and everything. That's cool. (laughs) Is it about the need to transfer to clean energy? Is it about the danger of bureaucracy? It's about the danger of scientists doing their thing. The hubris of men. Is it about Nazis? I don't really know. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've only got four episodes so far, so really the ranking doesn't really matter at this point, but for what it's worth, it is at the bottom of my list at the moment. Yeah, I'd say it's pretty confidently in the bottom of mine, too. It is up there with a few of my favorite doctor quips, though. So. Okay, look forward to that. <laughs> Both of them happened in the last episode. It's weird. It's been less than two weeks, but it just feels like it's been forever since we've recorded. Yeah, I think it's because like we were kind of used to doing it weekly for a little bit, and then uh, and then this episode was also just a drag. Yeah, I felt like I watched this episode for a month. Thank God we've been doing our uh, hiatus because that way we don't have to feel too pressured about. We'll just bank these and then start publishing them, so we don't have to worry about yep. it. Yep. That way we make it not stressful. Air quotes air quotes it's exceedingly stressful <laughs> i mean not really it's it's a fucking doctor <laughs> who podcast <laughs> no it's stressful <laughs> all right i'm gonna start reading the descriptions now oh i suppose oh i oh fine you really gotta twist my arm on it episode one the doctor and friends have been hanging around some sort of drilling experiment nicknamed inferno 
The two leads of the project, Keith Gold and Professor Stallman, butt heads over who has authority of the project. The purpose of the project is to mine Stallman's gas, which is supposed to be a revolutionary new energy source stored beneath the Earth's crust. When a maintenance worker touches some weird goo on one of the pipes, he quickly turns green, grows a lot of hair, and goes on a murderous rampage. You know, totally normal stuff. The doctor is tasked with solving this string of murders, but he is more interested in using the nuclear power of the station to tinker with the TARDIS console. In doing so, he quickly becomes stuck in a strange dimension for a few seconds that feels like an eternity to him. The reactor nearly overloads, and when the doctor and the brigadier go to investigate, the murderous mechanic jumps out at them. Uh, so yeah, I started watching this one, and like the, the setting was established, and I was just like, Hey look! Pipes! Caleb will love this. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many pipes, how can I not love it? Uh, but no, for real though, this episode has so many fucking similarities to Fury from the Deep. And I'm also going to go ahead and say this right now. Uh, let's go ahead and make this official. I think this is the episode where I am now officially sick of the stubborn, arrogant director of whatever fucking project or base we're at just being a stubborn prick. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sick of that character. I am, I am officially done with that character archetype and... I know this isn't the last time it's going to show up, obviously, but I'm done. <laughs> what, what makes you say that, Mac? The 20 more seasons of the show before we get to the modern era? And even in the modern era, I can think of a couple. But at least they're, like, <laughs> written better. <laughs> These guys are just stupid. Like, Stallman's an idiot. Like, yeah, he just is proactively i mean like shit is already going wrong like the pipes are falling apart people are complaining about working conditions and stallman's like let's just work harder yeah osha never heard of it (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah anyway it's got the it's got the stubborn director who is pushing his workers to such a degree it's got a green amorphous thing that when you touch it you become part of it it's got the drills there's a lot of similar characters and there's another like really big obvious thing that I can't quite remember. I'm sure we'll get to it, but like yeah, it's it's like if you're if you have two different screens, I mean spoilers, the interdimensional thing, it feels like you've got two different screens both playing Fury from the Deep at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and like it's interesting they say like it's got so many to Fury of the Deep. I mean, it does. But it's also got a lot of similar like themes and story ideas to other episodes in this season yeah yeah it does uh namely the prehistoric like returning to a more animalistic state which um maybe i wasn't paying attention enough because there was a point i kind of just started painting while the episode was playing in the background did that ever get no it didn't (laughs) and that's probably one of my biggest complaints about this episode it never fucking explains what the fucking green ooze that turns you into a weird furry werewolf is it's just there and you just deal with it and i'm like but what was that though <laughs> it's a major plot point and at no point is he like oh you must have unearthed something that was in the earth's crust or something like that. like it doesn't even they yeah this is the this is the primordial goo that came cavemen came from anything it could have been anything that's not bad let's use that <laughs> i mean it's stupid but it couldn't be any more stupid than anything else they could come up with right so yeah so this episode is not good even fury the deep explains itself better and that is about sentient seaweed yeah no kidding it's, it's really quite astounding how they've managed to staff this entire project uh with the stupidest scientists they could find uh, because when the green ooze starts seeping out of the, out of the drill shaft, one of the guys completely ungloved and unmasked and everything just decides, hey, what happens if I stick my finger in it? Ooh, look at that. <laughs> Ooh, it's glowing. That's cool. <laughs> my kids will love this. I'm going to put it in a jar. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what I was expecting from the green ooze, but the guy growing fur and sharp teeth and going caveman was not it. So I guess it has that in its favor. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of, once that started to develop and like the the infection or whatever you want to call it, starts spreading 
it starts spreading and I'm like, okay, are we going to be doing like a, like a zombie movie kind of thing where it's like there, the infection is spreading and they're like holding up while the drill is going critical and stuff. And like, that's, that's going to be the conflict kind of, but not really because at least here, maybe one or two other people get infected and then it just kind of stops. Mm hmm. I don't know. It's a really weird plot point. It's not that they handled it badly. It's that they didn't handle it at all. <laughs> <laughs> they actually just completely ignore it. Despite the fact that it's the driving force of the conflict of the story. Like, it's just kind of hanging out in the corner of the room. Like, it's there, and you know it's there, and they might even acknowledge that it's there, but it's not actually doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> all that to be say, I, I do think... This is actually totally changing pace, but I do think uh, this is my favorite doctor. Just in the way he kind of behaves. Yeah. And whereas the doctor, the doctors prior have been like, ooh, a new thing for me to try and figure out. This doctor is just like proactively unconcerned with everything that is happening. Very much so. To an almost <laughs> hilarious degree, which will come up later. Which... <laughs> <laughs> Side note, in terms of, like, just the doctor's blasé fair attitude, I love that he uses the sonic screwdriver as just, like, a good do garage door opener. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, so, he's working on the TARDIS, and Leather Strips is all like, we need to solve this string of murders, and it sound and he's like, sounds like, you need to solve that string of murders. I need a very expensive power supply to do my other bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Um, I will say, it's not really to this stories favor but to like this doctor and like the kind of thing that it's trying to do that i really like is i do kind of like the overarching plot of the doctor fixing the tardis mm -hmm. i do like that like it's a little bit further each time and like there's also just another plot in there that's mm -hmm. yeah i do agree it's got more of a connecting thread Mm -hmm. it's got more of a continuity to it yeah uh speaking of repairing the tardis though i like that when the doctor comes into his little they call it his hut when they when he comes into his little hut and parks bessie liz is already there like doing repairs on the tardis console <laughs> like she is smart enough that she can also work on repairs in this on this console that goes through time and space i think that's awesome <laughs> Liz is great she is great but yeah, but then there's also a moment where, like, the Doctor's fiddling around with his stuff, and the power accidentally gets cut, or, like, no, it overwhelms. And he gets stuck in, I guess, between dimensions, since he's jumping. That's how I read it, yeah. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. More importantly, my favorite part of this episode is when the Doctor goes in to talk to the Brigadier. The Brigadier's like, I found this old photo of me, and the Doctor looks at it, and just immediately is like, <laughs> <laughs> and he's like oh you look better with a mustache foreshadowing <laughs> uh, foreshadowing hey it's a funny bit of foreshadowing and i also just kind of like him roasting leather stripes i love it i love his just kind of stoic angry face while the doctor is doing it it's like he's like ah, you look like such a fucking nerd <laughs> <laughs> and then they go to check on why it is that the drill is going critical and stallman is being the stupid kind of stubborn uh, where it's literally going critical, but he refuses to do a shutdown because... Because it will slow down the project. The problem is, is you know what else will slow down the project? Everything blowing up. Yeah. And then they go into the control room to check to see uh, what, what exactly happened to cause this uh, critical. Uh, and then the ending stinger is just a guy jumping out and going, boo. Ah! <laughs> like, he literally just comes into the room and he's like, grrr! <laughs> <laughs> and then it goes to credits. <laughs> I don't want to say he's the least intimidating creature that we've dealt with because he's not. I'm just saying he looks like the live action Grinch before Jim Carrey got into the costume. <laughs> I think that's a fair way to describe it. I've got no more notes. Speaking of the stinger being jumping out and saying boo. Uh, yeah, I'm done. All right. Episode two. The mechanic is killed, but only after a great deal of struggle. More of the green goo is appearing everywhere, and the Doctor and Liz take some to do some research. The Brigadier, Keith, and Stallman argue about the safety of the project, but Stallman forges ahead regardless of the deaths and constant setbacks. When he tries to handle the vial of goo, some of it gets on his hands and instantly turns it green. 
While the Doctor is fiddling with the controls up to the TARDIS, Stallman switches his power off, and the Brigadier and Liz come in just in time to see him, the console, and Bessie dematerialize. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot of notes for this one. That's really not. A huge amount of the dialogue of this is people trying to be like, Stallman, you're fucking crazy. We need to shut this down, and him going, no. No, I don't care. That is 90% of the episode. It really is. This is where I start noting that this this story feels very second doctory, and then I come back and elaborate on this note being specifically Fury from the Deep. And then, <laughs> and then I was as I was watching and just being frustrated with the Stallman character. I I wrote down Stallman would have voted for the mayor from Jaws. <laughs> I think that's yeah. the perfect way to describe him. <laughs> that is the perfect way to describe him. I'd say. And speaking of. all the dialogue in this episode just being people telling Stallman to stop doing what he's doing and Stallman going no one of my favorite bits of dialogue I wrote down it's between the doctor and Stallman he says I'll tell you something that should be of vital interest to you professor well what that you sir are a nitwit (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like that line (laughs) since I don't have anything else to say I'll bring up a couple characters that I haven't mentioned yet so there's There's Stallman, he's the lead scientist, total asshole. There's Keith, who is like, I don't know, the other guy in charge. <laughs> Except he's not really in charge of anything. He he seems like, I'm not entirely sure what he's in charge of. He seems like in, he's in charge of, um, I don't know, human resources. But he also seems to be have, like, he also seems to be a liaison with the government. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's not entirely sure. Stallman says at one point that like the only job he has is in charge of the canteen. I was like, but obviously he does more than that. Yeah, which just sounds more like he was deriding Keith mm-hmm. rather than actually describing his job. <laughs> and then there's Petra. Is that her name? She's Petra, like yeah. Stallman's assistant. Yes. And then Sutton, who's like an advisor from like an oil rig or something. Yes, that, that, Keith, that Keith brings in to try and convince Stallman to shut it down. And instead, he just thirsts after Petra the whole time. The whole fucking time. The whole time. God damn. It's literally a whole B-plot. Yeah, I have some notes about that later. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually all I have to say is, hey, there's characters in this. And then there was a very interesting interaction between the Doctor and Liz. And I don't, I don't remember specifics here, so you'll forgive me. Uh, the Doctor asks Liz to do something. Liz asks why he needs her to do that. The Doctor sell, tells her to not ask any questions. And then he calls her a good girl, and then I throw up. Oh, yeah, I do remember that happening. It's like... It's kind of been established at this point that Liz will listen to the Doctor and nobody else. But there's also some points where I'm just like, that makes me feel icky, and I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, it's particularly terrible because like Liz is kind of established to be like sort of a feminist feminist icon in this season. Yeah, she has a couple moments later on in this story too, and she's very assertive. And I feel like the response to that has just been to be more sexist than usual. Yeah. <laughs> so hmm, interesting. Yeah, I don't care for it. I will say that. From what I can tell, it seems like Liz also has a sonic screwdriver. Yeah. Either that, or it's not actually a sonic screwdriver that they use to use the garage door, but like it looks like the it looks like the sonic screwdriver, and Liz has one. <laughs> so, well, there's one point where um, I think it's like episode seven that she's talking to Sutton when he comes in, and she's she calls it a door handle. Yeah. I don't know if that was just her joking or not. I don't know. It's a little unclear. I'm going to say that the doctor made Liz a sonic screwdriver because if there's one companion who would be able to get the most out of the sonic screwdriver, it would be Liz. (laughs) It's canon now. Yep. Deal with it, (laughs) Hovians. It's really weird when uh, the TARDIS console dematerializes and also takes Bessie because, like, (laughs) Bessie wasn't touching the TARDIS console, like, at all. I don't know why Bessie also teleported away. <laughs> well, the Doctor's been tinkering with her. The Bessie does some weird stuff. It does the Magno stick thing. It probably, let's face it, it probably also has a button that activates an oil slick behind it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, it launches a blue shell out of the front. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, I don't really have a whole lot of notes for this episode. Yeah, because a whole lot of nothing happens in this episode. Yeah. I'm reading episode three now. Go for this it. This is where things go from... It, it's something. <laughs> the Brigadier and Liz argue with Solomon about the power, but he refuses to turn it back on. Liz is upset that the Brigadier won't do more, but there isn't anything else he can do. The Doctor awakens in the same room, but there is a strange propaganda on the wall. When he goes outside to explore, he is shot at and pursued by soldiers. He is eventually caught and brought before a female officer that looks suspiciously like Liz. She takes him to a man that looks a lot like leather strips, but with an eye patch and scars. They interrogate him and accuse the Doctor of being a saboteur, but are perplexed by his deep knowledge of the drilling project taking place there. An alarm goes off, and all three rush in to see a disaster at the drillhead. The Doctor rushes in to help, but is held at gunpoint by a soldier named Benton. I do have quite the appreciation for just how much this Doctor is willing to just peace during a crisis. (laughs) (laughs) That sucks. Later. (laughs) This project is clearly, like, facing a meltdown. He's like, yeah, no, that's awful. Anyway, I'm going to activate my teleporter now. Let's see what happens. (laughs) I was like, that really sounds like a you problem. Because last time he was like, it felt like I was being pulled into a parallel world, but I didn't quite make it there. I'm going to go to that parallel world now. <laughs> and I don't know. I like it more. I like I like this Doctor who's a bit more indifferent to everything. <laughs> and then once again, the true enemy in any given Doctor Who story is bureaucracy. Because they try to get it shut down, but like they can't because the guy in charge says no. And the brigadier is like, oh, my hands are tied fascinating i can't break the rules <laughs> also can we just talk about the roll of the dice here because the the tardis is i'm assuming normally calibrates for this but he's working with just a console now and not only that but it's like busted so how lucky is he that he teleported into the same spot in the parallel universe and there was nothing where he teleported to like, he teleported into the garage that also just so happened to not have anything in it. Because I'm picturing, like, a fly-type situation. <laughs> <laughs> the Doctor is Bessie. Exactly. <laughs> and they get shot at by stormtroopers. And these guys are stormtroopers in more ways than one. Yeah, um, again, I there was a point where I just kind of stopped paying attention. Does it really kind of, like, establish the world-building of, like, the parallel universe? Or is it just like, eh, eh they're kind of Nazi-ish? There's actually a fan theory about that. Because in several shots, you kind of see a, uh, like, a picture in the background of, like, this the fearless leader kind of type that is clearly the one ruling over uh, over this world. I've seen the fan theory that that is this universe, universe's version of the Doctor. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Which I'm kind of into, if I'm not going to lie. Like, he uses his time machine to, like, take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in this parallel dimension, this Doctor has also been banished to Earth, and he's like, well, if I'm going to be here, I'm going to rule it. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot that's different in this world, like the totalitarian regime. Liz isn't a scientist. The brigadier is called Brigade Leader, and he doesn't have a mustache, and he's wearing an eye patch. That's how you know he's evil. It's because he's wearing an eye patch. But no matter what sort of changes that we see in this alternate parallel worlds, Liz is still rocking those go-go boots. (laughs) those white go-go boots that is standard issue as is really obvious black wigs yes (laughs) i'm still hung up on the doctor is the nazi world leader which with is something that has absolutely zero context or any proof of being true and is without a doubt infinitely more interesting than everything else that happens in this episode yes I cannot emphasize enough how there's not one scrap of evidence that this is the case. (laughs) But (laughs) I like that theory and I'm going with it. I do like at one point that uh, the doctor is being interrogated by uh, by Liz and the brigadier or the brigade leader, rather. And it's it's brought up that they have their their uh, dictator 
in charge of everything. And he asked what happened to the royal family, and they said that they that all of them were executed in the revolution. And I and I was like, oh no, the royal family is executed. How will the country go on without them? Oh no. Oh, no. How terrible. What? How will we move forward without the royal family? Just using up all the taxpayer money, being rich, and doing nothing else. I have opinions. <laughs> hey, 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 keep in mind, this is only like 10 years after British imperialism, rather, was kind of in its heyday. The royal family was very involved in that. I still stand by my statement that they're useless, <laughs> and they don't <laughs> need to be there. <laughs> yeah, man them dying in a revolution that's just that's the worst thing that could happen oh no anyway <laughs> anyway most of this episode is just the doctor being indignant and not compromising with the nazi people which is which is good i appreciate that that's his persona this whole season which yeah. again i love so they're they like we demand the truth he's like okay i come from a parallel world and i use my space-time machine to accidentally come here and they're like we don't believe you and he's like that sounds like a you problem because i just told you the whole truth <laughs> <laughs> sucks to suck i guess <laughs> Boy, howdy, I'm going to say something that's going to surprise you. Mm -hmm. This could have been four episodes. <gasps> oh my god, really? You don't say. You don't say. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> my god. Okay, well, once again, I would like to, I know it's been two weeks, but I would like to reiterate, this is the last seven-parter, so. I swear, I swear on my life, that is not the first time Mac has told me that. <laughs> it absolutely is. The record will show. <laughs> It is nothing but fours and sixes from here on out, and it's mostly fours. Fours and sixes. <coughs> <laughs> it is mostly four. It, no, yeah, it's mostly fours and sixes, and there's a couple that are less than that. And I checked because I was actually very curious about this. The last six is a fourth Doctor episode. So. Oh, okay. So boom. It's okay. Only twenty more seasons until I'm into the one episoders. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> almost 20 <laughs> seasons exactly, actually. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Caleb, no! Caleb! Caleb! <laughs> Put down the gun, Caleb! <laughs> so, episode four, then. <laughs> oh, episode four. Elizabeth stops Benton from shooting the doctor, and in return he fixes the computer and averts the crisis. He argues with an, alter an alternate universe stallman and Sutton who disagree that the with the doctor's pleas about the dangers of the project. The doctor is interrogated once more, and they threaten to torture him if he does not comply. The doctor is predictably indignant, and he is taken to a cell for holding. Back on normal Earth, Keith and Stallman bicker some more, and Keith says he's going to London to report Stallman to the minister. The Doctor's cellmate is a similar creature as before, and the Doctor does his best to fend him off. He escapes the prison and stows away on a truck as it leaves. He puts on some sort of protective suit and slips by security, and watches as the drill finally penetrates the Earth's crust. Stallman pulls a gun on the Doctor when he protests. Benton is about to shoot the Doctor in the head, but is uh, stalling long enough for Liz to come over and be like, Hey, no, don't do that. Let him help, I guess, even though I was just saying how he's a spy. And then the doctor thanks her, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically Liz was like, whatever, I'm not saving you from execution for you or anything, babaka. <laughs> That's my interpretation of that scene. And then he, like, fixes the computer, and then it gets to the interrogation. The second interrogation, mind you. Yeah, this feels like it's supposed to be a torture scene, but, like, from what I can tell, they're just, like, pointing the lamp at him and shouting at him. And, like, that's it. See, the problem is, is, like, we Americans are desensitized to real torture. To British sensibilities, pointing to a lamp and being aggressive might actually be torture. Oh, God, they're not asking nicely. I'm not sure I can take this anymore. Tell us who you work for. <laughs> can, can, say please, please. But, but, that's not proper. <laughs> <laughs> and then i feel like during in the middle of their interrogation doesn't stallman just kind of like open up the door and like flip on the light switch and be there he's like what are you doing <laughs> basically because isn't stallman like why don't you just torture him and the brigade leader is like no 
No, I'm not done here yet. He'll crack. <laughs> I haven't asked even more aggressively yet. We haven't weighed all of our options. He'll crack. We haven't even skipped tea time yet. <gasps> we haven't even fed him any toast. Without any beans on it. <laughs> no, you can't, you can't eat toast without beans. <laughs> British people, I'm sorry, but your food is disgusting. <laughs> No, no. Well, yeah, now that you think, now that you mention it. <laughs> Boy, how did we have a lot to say about this episode? Just shitting on British people. I saw a post uh, the other day that was like, you know, with as many wars as Britain started over the spice trade, you'd think they'd use more of them in their cooking. <laughs> That's so funny. I was on Twitter a couple weeks ago, and they were like, ooh, a Chick-fil-A opened in London. That sounds so fun. And, like, literally people tweeting. I was like, oh, my God, I can't eat this. This, this chicken sandwich is too hot. There's so much pepper. <laughs> I found that rather enjoyable. And then I make the note of, meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, because they kind of just cut back to Earth 1, just very briefly, just to kind of break up the pace of it a little bit it just feels like they cut back to earth one have one single short scene and then go back to earth two and a lot of the scenes don't really feel like they contribute a whole lot if i'm gonna be honest yeah okay i mean because the only critical thing that happens is like keith saying he's gonna leave which is only relevant for a one-off scene in the next episode <laughs> yeah because it's it's established that the project in Earth 2, Eyepatch World, it, it's like a couple of hours ahead of Earth 1. So, like, this is kind of a way for the Doctor to see what the results of this project will be. As a result, it hits critical and, like, shit starts hitting the fan in Earth 2. And then it just feels like just a complete and total commercial break every time we go over to Earth 1. And I'm like, I don't care what's happening over there because it's been established that what's happening over there like nothing's happening over there <laughs> and what is happening over there is basically the same thing that's happening over here yeah it's like it's it's the same thing okay so i take back what i said before it's like if you have two screens both playing fury from the deep at the same time except that one of the screens started episode one and then when episode one was done the second screen started episode one and it's so like you're watching both at the same time but like the not the same thing is happening but like it'll catch up and you'll be seeing the same thing twice anyway like that's what it feels like <laughs> yeah oh boy howdy i've got nothing to say like the biggest critique of this story is it needed to be cut down significantly not an episode like three episodes at least at least three I will say that the doctor like gets his scientist disguise and he sneaks back into the compound after escaping to try and shut it down. But like he breaks formation and then goes off into an area that he's clearly not supposed to go in is like very obviously pushing buttons that he's not supposed to. And some of the other scientists are like looking at him very suspiciously and are like calling over guards. And I'm like, yeah, be a little bit less conspicuous, doctor, or else. Yeah, that. And he's immediately <laughs> held up by gunpoint. And this is the second episode in a row where the doctor is held at gunpoint. And I really feel like we could have trimmed some fat there. <laughs> yeah, some shit could have been condensed. You know what we could have actually done without entirely? The monster movie bits. Hey, there's an idea. I think if we took that out entirely, since it's pointless. It is absolutely pointless. Does nothing but waste time. Like, like the conflict is with... Stallman mm -hmm. and like things going critical and shit exploding all around them. And Stallman does all of that regardless of whether or not he's a monster man. Uh, yeah, like there's there's some implications that because Stallman touches the ooze, he's like mind controlled or mind something. controlled, I think, but like he's doing shit he would have done anyway. Mm -hmm. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, the further along you go in this story, the more you realize, oh, wow, this, that whole ooze and green werewolf thing is just 
not going anywhere, is it? Yeah, and there's one point where the doctor, because like after they kill like one of the monster things early in the story, he makes like a weird death cry thing, mm-hmm. and the brigadier is like, "Oh, that was a strange sound." And the doctor's like, "Yeah, I've heard that same sound in Krakatoa around the time the volcano went off or whatever." And boy, howdy, is that not fucking relevant in the slightest? Yeah, that's not brought up again at all, except, I don't know, like, it's an eruption, I guess? Is that what he was implying? Uh, or, like, you know, like, something about, like, the magma is related to the ooze? I don't know. I, I don't know. The that... doctor implies that he knows what's going on and then just does not answer anything about it to the audience. Which, on the one hand is very frustrating as an audience member i want to know what's going on on the other hand that's also kind of fucking hilarious <laughs> uh because <laughs> he's just like yes i faced this enemy before i know exactly what's going on anyway i'm going back over to the tardis <laughs> <laughs> anyways good luck with that <laughs> And they're like, Doctor, aren't you going to tell us what to do? Oh, you wanted me to explain it? <laughs> You'll never learn anything if I solve all your problems for you. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, can I read episode five? I've got nothing else to say. Please do. <laughs> all right, episode five. The ground shakes as the drill head sets off explosions, and the green goo starts to pour out everywhere. The Doctor fights a Stallman as everything goes to hell, and Stallman infects a number of workers with the goo when the Doctor and Sutton escape. The men turn into roving green monster things, and Republic soldiers do their best to fend them off. The Doctor is doing his best to escape, but the Brigade leader and Nazi Liz are forcing him to help them as well. In the normal universe, Sir Keith is returning from the Ministry when his cab driver takes the wrong route. When Keith protests, the chauffeur informs him that Stallman wanted to stall his return. (laughs) Stallman. In the parallel universe, everyone agrees to join the Doctor as they try and find a way to escape. The monsters start breaking down the door. The first half of this episode is just people yelling and pushing each other. It, it is kind of fucking hilarious, though, that we cut to Universe 1 for just, just a, like a minute, and all that happens is Sir Keith going, Well, this is inconvenient. <laughs> anyway, back to Universe 2. <laughs> and Stallman is just like, I don't know, a British bad guy and can't, I don't know, have Keith, like, assassinated? Well... I think it's uh, pretty obvious that, maybe I'm showing my American here, but I don't think any of them know how to actually fire guns, because the ending of the last episode is the Doctor being held at gunpoint and, like, about to be fired on, and then just, like, they don't for a while at the beginning of this one it's it it feels like stallman is just like i'm going to give you to the count of three one two two and a half (laughs) (laughs) Ah, earthquake and then yeah and then they push each other around for a little bit and then some monster stuff happens but yeah they, they push each other around and i'm like how many flight calls did they have to rehearse that wrestling match because it felt like two people who were just, like, trying their best to, like, pretend to wrestle without actually, like, touching each other. <laughs> That's what it felt like. Yeah. And then they they get out of, like, the drilling room and the doors shut and lock. And he goes over to Petra and is like, unlock it so we can get them out. And she's like, we can't. They locked it from the inside. And I'm like, that seems like a really obvious oversight. It seems like a really obvious design flaw. You should be able to unlock it regardless. Specifically for this purpose, people could be accidentally locked in there and you need to get them out. (laughs) Nah, it's fine. That's how it's supposed to be. I then make the note of, I'm going to be so mad if the green men thing isn't explained. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. And then they're like, okay, so... We've reached the crust. Shit's going crazy. The world is ending. And uh, Sutton is like, all right, well, if the world's ending, let's fucking leave and just, I don't know, go. And I'm like, yeah, Sutton's right. Because if you've only got a few days left to live, let's go fucking enjoy some anarchy. It's time to bone and eat and get as high as an eagle. Like, <laughs> He's got it figured out, man. <laughs> Yeah, alternate universe Sutton is rad and cool. (laughs) Right? (laughs) He does kickflips on a skateboard. (laughs) 
<laughs> He's also got these like really doofy sunglasses <laughs> that ironically make him cooler than everyone else. But uh, alternate universe Petra is like, you know, things are going critical, the world's ending, and she's like, no, no, it'll be fine. The government will come in to rescue us from this situation. Oh, honey. And I'm like, I wonder what faith in one's government feels like. Because I can never, I don't think I've ever had that. Ever. Yeah, not once. <laughs> Boy, howdy. A pre-Chernobyl world. <laughs> A pre-East Palestine, Ohio world. Just with everything going to shit and, like, things exploding and them being trapped and, like, held at gunpoint by the army and everything, this feels like the final episode. This feels like the climax right now, and we've got two more episodes to get through. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Boy, howdy. Also, the monsters look scarier with just a slight infection infection like mm-hmm. with the green paint over them and just like clumps of hair stuck to them they look a lot they look a lot more unhinged when they go full werewolf it feels like they've got a shitty spirit halloween mask 100 percent agree 100 percent agree it's i mean uh surprise audience we don't like the monsters <laughs> no the monsters suck in more ways than one. Yeah, I mean, this episode is just a lot of yelling, a lot of pushing people over, Keith being very <laughs> indignant in a car, and then, yeah, then I won't be like, well, we're fucked. <laughs> Time to wrap it up. You'd think so, but we still have two more episodes. And then we proceed to not wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On that note, I'm going to read episode six now. Go for it. Sutton and Nazi leather strips use fire, extinguisher, fire extinguishers to fend off the monsters, but a monsterized stallman still manages to get into the room. Leather strips neutralizes him, and the group escape outside. Heat is blasting the surface, and everyone is dripping with sweat by the time they return to the doctor's hut. Sutton and Leather strips argue, and eventually they fight. Once the power is reconnected, the doctor is ready to return back to the uni- to his universe, leaving everyone else in the do- in the doomed one. However, the power isn't working right, and they all watch as a pool of magma erupts from the earth and rushes towards them. In the absolute chef's kiss. Most amazing green screen you will ever see in your life. They just figured out what a green screen is. Let's cut them some slack. <laughs> as hilarious as it may be. <laughs> On that note, I don't know if it's this episode or the next episode, but they also, like, there's a moment where, like, Liz opens the door in, like, the regular universe uh, to let Sutton in, and that is green screened for presumably no reason. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the hut set was like on set and not on any sort of like location so they kind of had to green screen it i'm not sure i have no idea i guess i don't know it it felt weird they're like well we put this green screen here we get we're gonna use it the guy who moves the green screen is on lunch right now so let's just go ahead and film it like this (laughs) you can tell that uh because they figure out that the fire extinguisher hurts the monsters because they're attracted to like the heat of the magma yeah they're really hot (laughs) and uh the fire extinguisher is extremely cold so like they use the fire extinguisher to kind of like keep them at bay you can tell that it took them a couple of takes to do the the fighting the monsters bit because there's barely anything coming out of the fire extinguisher but the the actors who are playing the monsters are pretending like they're being sprayed like (laughs) They're clearly yeah. running out of out of foam <laughs> and the extinguisher. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Uh, this is also the moment where I know it was like, yep, leather strips is just as useless in this universe as he is in the other one. I would argue even more useless. <laughs> <laughs> because God, because like he's like fighting off the monsters, and Stallman just walks in and approaches the doctor. <laughs> yeah, uh, and the doctor's even like, um, leather strips. You gonna do something about that? <laughs> And then they, they, they like unhook the tube that was, that has the cooling vent. It's attached to the cooling vent. So they just have it as like this huge hose to keep the monsters at bay. And Sutton is like spraying the monsters while the doctor is doing computer stuff. And it starts to wear down a little bit and the monsters are advancing on them. And then Sutton says, Sutton says the line, the natives are getting restless again. Yeah. And I was just like, is it bad if I say that's the most British thing that's been said on the <laughs> show yet? 
It's so funny. Okay, that does remind me. Uh, so Kylie watched this episode with me. This ep- we're sitting down to eat. She hasn't watched any bit of this story <laughs> until this episode. So I'm explaining it to her. I was like, all right, so like parallel universes, they're drilling for some energy thing. Uh, the green goo turns them into monsters. And she's like, why? And I was like, I don't know why. They didn't explain it. <laughs> just roll with it. And then she she's just like kind of like eating her food, like kind of like passively listening. And then she go- and then she goes, the natives. <laughs> that's what Kylie got from this episode. That's it. That's it. We we can move on. That's <laughs> no other takeaway from that. They get into the doctor's hut, and Sutton and uh, the brigade leader are fighting. And I'm like, guys, I am begging you to hire a fight choreographer. Please do not put this in charge of. Do not put the actors in charge of this because this looks absolutely awful. I am begging you to fire hire a it fight is. choreographer. I know a couple. I can give you their cards, please. I'm begging you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like keep in mind that this show has always had a terrible fight choreography, but it is especially terrible in this story. They don't even have the excuse of like clacking together the swords. It's just like they're trying to wrestle without actually wrestling. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very bad. I do like how um the brigade leader, it's been explained to the people of this universe that they cannot come with the doctor because basically having two of the same person in such close proximity would blow a hole in fabric of reality, which I don't know is true or not because that actually sounds like something the doctor would just make up and be like, I just don't want you with me. <laughs> <laughs> but the brigade leader like keeps insisting and is like holding him at gunpoint and like telling him to bring the brigade leader with him. And doctor's like, I, I literally can't like, it's physically impossible for me to press these buttons while you are with me. The, the lava's gaining on them. And I do, she's referred to as Elizabeth in this universe. I appreciate the fact that Elizabeth is very practical and badass, just like Liz is. And she shoots the brigade leader in the fucking head. <laughs> Queen energy. She just shoots him and she's like, go, just fucking go, go. <laughs> and he's like, well, yes, you're all about to die. Well, bye. <laughs> anyway, I, and you know what? We're shitting on this episode a lot because there's a lot to shit on. But one thing I will say that I really like about this episode is this almost feels like another time that the doctor has. It's not a net loss because of the stuff that's happened in the next episode, but. He cannot save this world. Like, no matter what he does, this world is already fucked. And he's, and he's just like, I have to abandon all of you. I have to leave you all to die, because otherwise I'll just die here for nothing. <laughs> Which is an idea and concept that I really think is really cool, and I can't wait for them to not explore it at all. <laughs> I can't wait for that to absolutely never be relevant, ever. And then they get attacked by a green screen, and then it's episode seven. Yep, episode seven. The Doctor gets away, leaving everyone else to die. When he awakens in his own timeline, the Doctor becomes erratic and does everything he can to derail the experiment. Stoneman is indignant and refuses to compromise. They are near to repeating the same mistakes as the other universe, but Petra, Stoneman's assistant, believes the Doctor and undermines the operation. Stallman goes full animal and tries to attack everyone, but he is defeated and the doctor uses the computer to stop the drilling at the last moment. Everything's settled, the drilling project is being shut down. The doctor is allowed to use the power a bit longer and uses that time to talk shit to leather strips before dematerializing. However, he doesn't go very far and it seems the doctor will be stuck on Earth for a little while longer. I like how the doctor comes back to Earth 1 and then and Liz and Benton are both there and Liz goes over to the doctor, like, check his vitals. And then Benton is like, it's the doctor. And Liz is like, yeah, I can see that. Get the brigadier. <laughs> Thank you, Benton. <laughs> Thank you so much for your input. My favorite thing, well, not my favorite thing about this episode. Uh, that's later. One of my favorite things about this episode is where the doctor just does that cheeky classic thing of refusing to explain everything and just becoming unhinged. <laughs> yeah. Before he goes completely apeshit, apeshit, though, I do like how he he still hasn't come to yet, and he's being laid out on this cot, and Liz and the brigadier are over him, 
And uh, the brigadier says, I'll send for a doctor. And then Liz like, I happen to be a doctor, remember? And my note is, no. No, he doesn't remember that, Miss Shaw. He doesn't remember you're a doctor ever. (laughs) (laughs) And then I make the note of how uh, Petra and Sutton have absolutely zero romantic chemistry whatsoever. And I'm sure they'll have plenty of beautiful children together. Yep. (laughs) Absolutely no reason for it. You Beyond her rejecting him in like episode one. You haven't even seen these two characters actually interact that much beyond that. Nope, not these two. You see them interact in the other world, and they kind of have like a, well, world is ending, let's take off our clothes kind of mentality at one point. This Sutton and this Petra should not be as attracted to each other for some reason as they are. Yes, very odd, very strange, hate it. When the doctor comes to and he sees the brigadier, (laughs) he says... You do look better with the mustache. And I thought that was funny and a nice callback. Yeah, it was. And then after seeing the horrific events of the alternate dimension, the doctor has come to the perfectly sensible conclusion of no one is ever going to listen to me anyway. I'm just going to sabotage everything. Which isn't wrong. (laughs) He's like, it would be too long to explain why it is that shit's fucked. Give me that wrench. I'm going to (laughs) smash. And it really is just like, forget all the times before this where Stallman has been like, yes, we need to up the speed by 12% to make up for the time that we've spent, you know, keeping everyone safe. And like things are actually going critical. Shit is exploding around him and he's telling him to telling everyone to go faster because uh, he wants to be done by lunch, I guess. And everyone is just like, well, the director said it. We got to go. And I'm like, I feel like there's definitely some sort of bylaws. They're like, if a director or leader is putting the subordinates in direct harm's way, you are within your rights to tell him to fuck off or something like that. Yeah, this episode, the the moral of this, as much as this episode wants to be about the environment or have some sort of environmentalist message the real moral of this episode is everyone needs a union yeah because later it, it keeps happening and then brigadier says that he'll go to geneva to try and uh get approval to interrupt the the project and my note is oh i'm sorry i i can't do it i can't step in i need to file the proper paperwork to receive the request form to have a committee form to look into the possibility of someone ordering someone to have uh order someone to order someone to tell me to stop the drilling this is so fucking frustrating and i'm sick of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah like this isn't fun to watch this isn't like you love to hate them kind of thing this is just i hate this yeah, and Keith says something stupid at one point where he's like, well, like, you know, we don't have any reason to think anything bad is going to happen. I was like, Keith, you spent the whole fucking story complaining about everything going wrong. <sighs> yeah. But then they managed to shut it down and, like, the doctor and uh, Sutton, like, go into the drill room and, like, the door shuts behind them and the two of them, between the two of them, they're able to stop the drilling and then... There's like a tense moment of like, oh, did they make it or did did it blow up? And then the door opens and like Petra comes to like runs into Sutton's arms and like hugs him intimately. And then Liz runs over to the doctor and hugs him. And it felt like a very intimate hug. Yeah, that was not a hug between friends. I don't know if that was intentional, but like there was something there. It had the same energy as in the last story when he, like, brushed her hair out of her face when he was talking to her. Yeah. Very weird. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it either. But, like, just the way they hugged and, like, the way his hands just, like, rested on her hips. It was like, "Mm, hmm, I don't like this. I mean. (laughs) Boy, howdy. And then we cut to the doctor's hut and just the doctor and the brigadier just, (laughs) just talk endless shit about each other and the doctor's like i don't need this and he turns on the uh turns on the tardis console it's worth knowing this one scene almost made this entire story worth it (laughs) (laughs) because it's great because the doctor's straight up like you know what brigadier i've had it with your shit bye liz you were great brigadier go fuck yourself dematerialize (laughs) 
And I was so excited because I was like, oh, shit, is, is this the end of them being companions? I was like, oh, my God, the Doctor's going on a tirade. This is officially the best way companions have left the show. <laughs> but then it turns out he just teleported a couple seconds into the future and into the garbage heap that was just a couple yards to his right. And the Doctor's just like, oh, I know a couple seconds ago we both said things that we didn't mean. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then he, then they start walking out of the hut and like the doctor has his arm around the brigadier. And he says, nothing like a nice happy ending, the doctor says, as the other world literally burns. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. And that's it. Trivia. The director, Douglas Canfield, had a minor heart attack after filming the on-location shots and the studio shots of episodes one and two. Okay. So the producer, Barry Letts, had to take over after he went to the hospital. Oh, damn. Yeah. The writer, Don Houghton, he based the drilling storyline on real events. Uh, the U.S. had a project called uh, Project Mohole that was trying to drill through the Earth's crust, but it was canceled for unknown mysterious reasons that have not been disclosed to this day. Hmm. And so he was like, hmm, what if that mysterious reason was weird goo that turned people into green werewolves. <laughs> Stunning. A masterclass in science fiction, really. Absolutely. This is the only season finale of The Third Doctor to not be written by Robert Sloman, which means nothing to us because we haven't had any more Third Doctor season finales. Both Caroline John and Nicholas Courtney list this as their favorite episode, specifically because they enjoyed playing their evil versions more than their actual characters. <laughs> Nicholas Courtney, <laughs> apparently uh, in the first take, when the brigade leader is first introduced, you just see like the back of the chair and then he just like swivels around and he looks like a Bond villain with his eye patch. In the very first take, he turns around and reveals his eye patch and as an on on set prank, all of the other actors and crew members were also wearing eye patches, uh, <laughs> and he didn't realize it. But because Nicholas Courtney is a fucking beast, he kept going with the scene as if nothing was different. <laughs> King, that's professionalism. That is professionalism. The scenes on top of the chemical tank in episode two, like he's running around and like chasing the weird werewolf goo monster they were very rough for john pertwee because he has a fear of heights mm. this is the final story to feature the original tardis prop the original tardis console uh it had gradually deteriorated over the years and a lot of bits had to be repaired or replaced so in any future episodes it was a brand new tardis console that was built so it kind of makes sense that the last time you see it, it's literally being teleported into a garbage heap. Because <laughs> that's where it went. This is the first title that consists of a single word. A fun little fact there. The Doctor at one point makes a joking reference to Batman. Coincidentally, John Pertwee's son, Sean Pertwee, would later play Alfred Pennyworth in the show Gotham. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, that's all I got for trivia. So, uh, the final thoughts. I didn't really like this episode going into it, and the more we talked about it, the more I realized I really, really didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's too long. Nothing is explained. It's the bad version of Fury of the Deep, I agree. The only saving grace is John Pertwee's doctor at large. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah, I basically have the same opinion. Very similar to Fury from the Deep. I am so sick and tired of the stubborn director and... Because of the two worlds, it felt like we just kind of went through the same steps twice. And for a story that has like a lot of high stakes, it moved pretty slow and had a lot of repetitive conversations because they basically just talk about the same thing over and over again. And that's how they need to stop the drilling. But they're not going to because Stallman and also the doctor is definitely a spy. That's like the only two conversations they have and they just have those over and over again. Mm-hmm. I, I do like the fact that the Doctor couldn't save the other world. I think that's a very dramatic point that um, I did enjoy. More than anything else, what the fuck are the green men? No, seriously, <laughs> what the fuck was that? 
What was it, Caleb? <laughs> I don't understand. It was... Stupid. It was stupid. There you go. Perfect. Perfect explanation. Ooh. Solved it. <laughs> I'm going to write that in Tortoise Wiki real quick. <laughs> it was stupid. <laughs> As Caleb, co-host of A Quick Trip Through Space and Time, so deftly describes in... <laughs> In episode 54 of their podcast. Yeah. And did I mention he's ruggedly handsome? <laughs> and then you have like just a little uh, notation number and it goes down to see the source and it says, because I fucking said so. <laughs> the source is D's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> D's nuts is like such a third grade joke that gets me every fucking time. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but these these nuts jokes always makes me laugh. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, also important to bring up is every time they said penetrate in this, I kind of went. <laughs> I I figured you did. <laughs> Everyone knows your favorite word in the English language is penetration, Caleb. Yep, it sure is. <laughs> well, that's it for this episode, guys. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, the best thing you can do to support it is rate it five stars and tell your friends about it. You can find this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, you know, all the major podcast things. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at QuickTripDW. You can also follow me on Twitter at CelebrityWriter, and you can check out Mac's YouTube channel, Mac the Meh, where he does insightful videos about video games. And join us next time on A Quick Trip Through Space and Time, in which we meet another one of the Doctor's most iconic villains in Terror of the Autons. <laughs>